actually we're not because this is a recording that you're probably hearing the next day or so. Anyway, back at it again, Sports Talk Unfiltered Unapologetic, and this is episode six on Wednesday, March 27th, 2019. I'm going to hit a few different topics tonight. Rob Gronkowski retiring, possibly the GOAT. Big NFL rule changes going on right now. A lot of fallout still from the Rams and Saints NFC Championship game. And we're going to talk some MLB opening day, kind of coinciding with the Sweet 16 and March Madness tournament. So I'm going to kick it off with, with talking about Gronk. Gronk announces retirement the other day. I think this is a genuine thing. I've heard a few people saying, oh, maybe he might come back and he's, you know, angling to maybe get a few more bucks, this and that. I don't think that's the case, to be totally honest with you at all. Uh, Gronkowski, <coughs> excuse me, has been known, supposedly at least throughout his career, to be lived off of his endorsements and a few other, I think, bonus things and whatnot. Basically, he's pocketed or banked his salary throughout his entire career thus far. So we're talking a guy who's been in the league about nine years and has probably, I'm guessing, made somewhere between 40 and $50 million. I don't know, obviously, how much after taxes and whatnot, but he's got plenty of dough. He also has a big-time likability to do things with himself following his career. He's already been in like the movie Entourage or the show. I can't remember which one it was. He definitely has the look and kind of attitude to make it in Hollywood, so to speak, if he wanted. I don't know if that's something that he's going to pursue. But let's just say that, you know, now that his cleats are getting hung up here and he's done playing ball, he's not going to struggle to make a living on top of having a ton of dough already. Gronk is, to me, a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't know why that's even being debated. It's kind of laughable that people would say that he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. He played nine full seasons, missed a ton of time during that nine full seasons. And when you compare his first nine years to Tony Gonzalez's first nine years, Shannon Sharps, Kellen Winslow, any of the guys that are considered um, in the top five or ten greatest tight ends ever, Gronkowski outperformed them. And let's not even mention, which they don't, by the way, because you can tell with offensive linemen getting the shaft every year, when it comes to NFL Hall of Fame voting, that blocking is a totally underrated quality that players possess in that league, okay? This whole playoff run when this guy has been basically been beat up with his back and um, shoulders and whatever other injuries he's had the past few years, you can tell he's slowed down some. The Patriots ran their running game behind him, essentially like he's a third offensive tackle through the whole playoff run. Then against the Chiefs in the AFC title game to go to the Super Bowl, when it came to the fourth quarter in crunch time, they are hitting them up because the Chiefs were dumb enough to be guarding them one-on-one. So this guy is a living legend, and he's a baller. Okay, when the, when the chips are all on the table, that's when this guy was at his best. And Gronkowski was, to me, unlike other tight ends we've seen. Gonzalez is... One of the better athletic tight ends we've seen. He played, obviously, basketball and football both at Cal Berkeley. He was a great athlete and a great pass catcher. Gronkowski, though, to me, was on a little bit of a higher level 
um, than any other tight end I've seen play. He just was a mismatch. He kind of changed the game in certain regards, I felt, because of a guy his size and had his strength and athleticism and ability to shed tackles and just make awesome plays, um, acrobatic catches, all kinds of stuff. It didn't look like with his frame and even running style that he should be doing stuff like that. But when you put the pads and, and helmet on and he was out there against his you know, peers in competition, he just stood above the rest. And to me, it was completely obvious to see. Um, you go and look at some of his other stuff um, that Gronkowski put up numbers-wise, and then it kind of really sets in stone just how good the guy was without even counting um, the blocking stuff, okay? Which he was, to me, one of the better blocking tight ends of his era easily. So three Super Bowls in nine seasons, four first-team All-Pros, and this is with, again, a ton of time missed. Um, he also had a full, basically, season of postseason games. He played 16 postseason games, okay? He was Tom Brady's highest-rated quarterback receiver. So, in other words, that, that sounds kind of strange, but basically, when Brady was throwing to Gronkowski, he had his highest quarterback rating of his career his whole 20 years or so in the playoffs. It's like a insane quarterback rating of like 124. So in Gronk's nine years, he's basically had 521 catches for 7,800 yards and 79 touchdowns. The t 79 touchdowns are the most in Patriots history. So no other player in Patriots history has had as many touchdowns as Gronkowski. Okay. In the playoffs, he's played 16 games, which is equivalent to a full season. He had 81 grabs for 1,163 yards and 12 touchdowns. So he's basically an all-pro in the postseason as well, when it basically matters the most. There's not even guys coming close to sniffing his production in, in the playoffs. And there's been some other tight ends that played a lot of playoff games. Dallas Clark, Keith Jackson, Shannon Sharp. All those guys had tons of playoff runs. Um, Sharp, you know, is a Hall of Fame tight end who played with Elway in Denver. Then on Baltimore, he played a lot of playoff games. Dallas Clark played with Peyton Manning, basically Manning's whole time in Indy. So Gronkowski, to me, again, when you stack up the, the numbers against the other guys in their first nine seasons, he basically has them beaten the statistics, and he definitely has them beaten the blocking. And I think, you know, he's just always going to be remembered for that playmaking tight end and also for a little bit of just his personality, right? The funny thing is, is that Gronkowski never got in trouble and he was always kind of considered a meathead. And that's basically because, you know, he likes drinking beer, he likes chicks, and he likes scoring touchdowns. I don't really see what's wrong with any of that. <laughs> and I, again, the guy never was in any, any trouble. He never had any off-field issues, domestic violence, DUIs, nothing. So I think because, you know, he's pretty outspoken about kind of basically, and for lack of a better term, his sexuality and him and his dad and mom and brothers, it's kind of a little bit strange that they had this like boat cruise where everyone on there, you know, was basically called like a sex cruise and stuff. And his mom famously called him and left him this voicemail, congratulating him when he scored his 69th touchdown. 
So they are definitely a little bit of a uh, kind of eccentric and outspoken family, which is a little bit um, off of the norm from what Americans are supposed to be, supposedly, which is reserved and this and that. But I don't think, you know, the guy was causing anybody harm. He just is a, you know, basically a, a guy who had a, liked to have a lot of fun and he liked to kick a lot of ass when he was on the football field. So I personally will miss watching Gronk play. I thought um, him and Grady, Brady together was was really a dynamic duo and one of the better duos that we've seen the last, you know, 20, 30 years. So I think, again, when it comes five years and he's eligible, that room of 45 voters or whatever it is for the Hall of Fame, they're, his name's just going to get penciled in. They're not going to sit there and debate whether he gets in or not. He's in. First ballot. And if he's not then whatever one of those losers on that panel doesn't vote for him needs to basically be stripped of their title because it there's surefire guys and he's exactly that. If you're going to put Brian Erlacher and some of these other guys who are, don't get me wrong, great players in on the first time, then Gronkowski as a three-time Super Bowl champion and the best tight end of his era easily deserves to get in. So I again I'm gonna miss Gronk and I I do not again I do not see him coming back. And that is an end the end of a great era. So in that sense it's a little bit sad, but uh what a great player he was. So we're transitioning on to some NFL rule changes now. Everybody remembers, everybody was watching the Saints and Rams NFC Championship game. Now, you can call the Saints fans crybabies or whatever. I was even taking some heat for kind of defending basically the Saints in that situation or sticking up for that play. You know, I don't have a dog in the race when it comes to the Saints and Rams. I don't have a dog in any other team's race other than the Niners, really. There's 31 other teams. I can't stand every one of them. Now, the Rams, I hate more than the Saints, but I still hate the Saints. So... I was rooting for the Saints in that game. However, it wasn't like I was heartbroken because the Rams won. You know, I would have rather the Saints won, but that's not why I'm going to call a spade a spade. I'm going to call a spade a spade because that's what it is. I'm not going to do it because I'm biased more towards one or the other. That play at the end of that game was pass interference. And let me tell you another thing. If you're going to deem somebody eligible to get smacked and tackled or whatever, hit whatever you want to call it, off of a tip ball, to me, that ball should be clearly batted, not tipped. If the project, the pro projection sorry, of the ball is still heading in the right direction towards that intended receiver, then the cornerback or DB or safety or linebacker, whoever's covering the guy that's getting the ball thrown to him, shouldn't just be able to just blatantly tackle that guy before the ball gets there, okay? That is blatant P.I. I don't care who it is, whose team it is, whatever. That play on the Rams, DB, I don't even remember his name now. I think it was number 22, against the guy on the Saints, who was also a kind of no-name receiver, was blatant P.I. Now, football games are 60 minutes and have tons of missed calls. That's a human element to the game. Referees are going to miss calls. I know they got about six or seven guys out there, but you're talking 22 players on the field at all times on offensive defense, smacking into each other, holding, grabbing, pinching, kicking, pushing, hitting, whatever. 
they're not going to see everything. So there are going to be plays that get looked over and passed by. Well, with the rule changes now, I'm a little bit weary of this, okay? They're they're basically proposing for a year trial that coaches are able to challenge offensive and defensive pass interference calls and even worse in my mind, non-calls, okay? So if you have a play, you know, a pass play, you think there's pass interference, they don't throw the flag, you can throw your red challenge flag and ask them to review it and then then call pass interference on that player at that time. So one thing is we live in a society, again, that does not like things slowing down and taking too long. That's just the impatience, especially of this new generation of cell phones and everything else where everything you want is right at your fingertips. You order your food on DoorDash, whatever, right? People don't have time to wait anymore for anything, it seems like. That's part of the reason why baseball has become a secondary or even third sport in this country now because it's viewed as slow and boring. Well, the NFL has remained popular because of a lot of things. It's still a violent sport. It's still the most popular sport to play fantasy football or fantasy sports. And it's also the most popular sport to gamble on. So that's why it's maintained its relevance the way it has. The other reason is because of all of the parity in the league making the games competitive constantly. You don't normally see a lot of blowouts. You see it a lot of close, nail-biting games, which are exciting to watch. Well, this is going to delay these games longer, which is one thing that they don't want. What they do want is more and more scoring. They've geared the rule changes the last 20 years to teams scoring more. This is no different. If coaches are challenging plays, it's going to be a lot of the time on offense. It's going to be predicated basically on these offenses scoring more. Whether you want to see it that way or not, I'm telling you right now, the scoring this next year, mark my words, will be higher than it was last year on average. And I think that having the refs questioned on every little thing to me is not something I'm a huge fan of. I'd like to see them get it right, but I don't know if it's at this cost or expense, okay? Now, there's a few other things that they propose as well, which I kind of like this. They're proposing, and I don't think this has happened yet, but that they eliminate onside kicks. Let me go over this real quick. I don't know if it'll happen next year or five years from now, but I can pretty much guarantee it won't be 10 years from now. At least I don't think. And if it is, I'll be shocked. But the kickoffs are going to be done. I'm telling you right now. Eventually, there will not be kickoffs in the NFL, let alone onside kicks. There's way too many injuries and violence, and they've tried to eliminate it already by letting the kicker go from the 35. So 80 90% of kickoffs now are touchbacks anyway. It's kind of a pointless thing to even have kickoffs, right? And then when you do, you have guys running full speed, like head-on collision, cars, trucks, hitting each other. And that's where a lot of stingers and concussions and other stuff happens. It's just something that they've been gearing towards. That's why they kick it off from the 35. Well, what the hell's the point? What they really should do is you score a touchdown, the other team gets the ball on the 25. Boom, right there to start. That's how it should be. Because if you're going to eliminate basically kickoffs almost anyway by letting people kick it off from the 35. I mean, if you can't get the ball to the back of the end zone, from the 35 yard line, you need to hit, you need to cut your kicker because he sucks. And that's just a reality of it. 
Now, the onside kick, it's just as bad. You have guys pick blocking and other stuff. It's a play that hardly works anyway, and there's still tons of in, tons of injuries on it because of the head-on-head collisions. So what they're proposing is that if – I can't remember if a team's down by like 17 points or something like that, and they score or whatever, and there's less than two minutes left in the game. Some There's some type of wrinkle to it, to, to be honest, that I haven't fully seen the detail – but they're proposing that the offense gets the ball as a fourth and 15, I think from their own 40 yard line. So instead of onside kicking after you score, you would get the opportunity to get a fourth and 15. Now the conversion rate on that will be low, but I still like the idea of having your quarterback out there, your offense versus the other team's defense, that type of situation. Although that it's still, unlikely they're going to get that play, but it's kind of makes it exciting because if they do, then they get another first down, then you're going to have some more nail biting stuff. What you're going to have also is backlash from the first team, like the chiefs or somebody like that, who has a total crap defense, who's going to give up the fourth and 15 and then a few more first downs and then a touchdown and lose or something like that off a game like that. So I think that's something they really have to probably um, think through deeply, but I kind of on the surface like that idea of it a lot. There's a few other things that are going on too. All blindside blocks anywhere on the field uh, are going to be a personal foul 15 yards boom, all right? Even if you're coming at a guy square head on, right? If that guy's looking the other way or is not engaged with you or paying attention to you and you club him, you're getting 15 right there, boom. This is something that most people are against because they like seeing the the hits. I mean, who doesn't like seeing a middle linebacker lay into some guy running across the middle or whatever, right? That's kind of one of the attractions of the game. Well, it just goes into the whole concussion and other stuff. They're, if they're going to try to supposedly clean up the game and care about player safety, this probably was something that they should have done a long time ago because blindside hits – just leave guys out there seeing stars, okay? And that's that's something that they've needed to eliminate. So I think this is a foregone conclusion that it, that it was gonna um, go like that. So let's see. I don't. I think there's something about scoring plays and turnovers negated by penalties. I don't know about that. I mean, um, I'm guessing that you're talking about a you know an offensive play. Team scores a touchdown, and then maybe their tackle or something gets called for holding. And I think that coach of the offense or whatever is going to get to challenge that to see if it really was holding or not, to basically try to allow those scoring plays to stand. So that's another way or thing that's going to be geared towards scoring more in this league. And like I said, the other rules usually somehow play into the league scoring more points because that's what people like to see. So... Um, I don't know if there's too many other things. I think a lot of them are kind of not talked about. I mean, as big, they're a little bit smaller that people aren't going to probably care as much, but I think that, um, I don't know. They, They have one about allowing teams to enforce a personal foul or unsportsmanlike conduct penalty committed during a touchdown on either the try basically PAT or, or two point conversion or on the ensuing kickoff. So I don't know about that one either. That, that seems a little bit petty. 
They have also a proposed rule for allowing both teams to possess the ball in overtime that got tabled. Now, listen, I've always thought, even since I was a kid, that it's ridiculous that two teams work their asses off. They tie, they're tied and they go to overtime and only one of them gets a shot at scoring. It's ridiculous. College doesn't do it that way. And to me, the college, the way college does it, the NFL is getting it wrong. They should do it like that. Each offense gets one opportunity. It shouldn't even matter if the team getting the ball scores a touchdown first, kind of like um, the Patriots and, and Chiefs. I think the Pats got the ball first and just marched right down and scored. So if, if you get the ball and you don't score and the other team gets it and scores, they deserve to win. But I don't think the team that, that wins the coin toss in overtime, if they score, they should just walk off the field as winners. The other team should get that opportunity without question. You haven't worked that hard the whole entire game to have it a tie only for you to see the other team get one chance, score, and win, and you don't even get the shot. That's never made sense to me. So I have no idea why they're tabling that discussion, but it just doesn't seem fair. I get that they've made some progress where, hey, if you kick a field goal, then the other team gets an opportunity. No, I think even if the first team with the ball scores a touchdown, the other team should get the chance. Right? You're basically letting a coin toss determine the winner of the game when you're talking two teams fought their hearts out for 60 minutes. Now, in the playoffs, it's even more imperative and important, right? A coin toss going to decide a playoff game. I mean, that's obviously given that the team that gets the coin toss wins the coin toss, scores a touchdown. But still, why doesn't the other team get the opportunity to come down the field and score also? It just doesn't make any sense. Hey, guys. Did um, any of you hear about Major League Baseball's opening day? Do any of anybody out there know when opening day is? Yeah, neither do I. Well, I do now because I had to look it up. And I seen this actually talked about a little bit earlier um, on Twitter. And it's like baffling. Um, I saw Middlecoff talking about it, actually. And the opening day for baseball, for some odd reason, they put the opening day for Thursday, tomorrow the 28th, the same day as March Madness is Sweet 16. Now, this is the highest rated March Madness in 29 years as far as the TV ratings go. What do you think people are going to be watching tomorrow? Opening day of baseball or March Madness? The other thing that makes no sense to me in a small way either is that a lot of the games that baseball plays on opening day is during the daytime. And it's during a school week and a school day. So who's pulling their kid out of school to go to a 1 o'clock game tomorrow? It just Baseball is it's disappointing how far behind the times they have fallen. They just aren't in the 2019 stratosphere here. You also have to look and see they don't market their product, right? I haven't seen commercials for opening day on TV. I haven't heard about commercials on the radio. I haven't even seen it on the internet. So I don't know if they just think people are just going to like look it up and know, but it's just silly. The other thing is baseball usually starts the first week of April or on April 1st or 2nd or whatever. At least start it on a Monday. You start it on Monday, April 1st this year, there's no March Madness on. Matter of fact, the Final Four has already been decided. That weekend's over with, and you have the Final Four coming up at basically day six or seven of the baseball season if you start on Monday the 1st. 
So I don't know. I just I don't know who's running the show over there. I know Rob Manfred obviously is the commissioner, but these guys just you know they don't make much sense with how they market their game anymore. It's not geared towards kids. Matter of fact, I was talking um, with a buddy of mine, Sean, and he actually asked me to bring up this topic on the show. And he said, you know, why do you think baseball has gotten so unpopular among the youth? And I think a big part of that is they do not do a good job in the community, especially in more poor, um, poverty-stricken areas where there's not a lot of money in those areas for mitts and all the equipment that you need to play baseball. Okay. Basketball is a global sport. And one of the bigger reasons too, is because you can just grab some of your buddies and all you have to do is have one ball and find a place with, with the hoops, which are a lot of parks and community centers and wherever have basketball courts. And then you just have to basically show up with your buddies and have the ball and you can play. And basketball is a very fun sport to play too. Baseball will always be, at its core, one of my first loves and a great and awesome sport. But, you know, if I want my kid or, or someone else wants their kid to play, I got to go out and get him cleats. I got to go out and get him a bat. I got to go out and get him a mitt. And then I got to find a bunch of other people to go out and play with him, someone to throw balls, whatever. It's just not promoted enough at the youth level, in my opinion. And I think it's starting to show. There's just a lack of participation. And that's what, uh, when me and Sean were discussing this, he brought up to me, all the numbers of signups are down. And that's because they don't do a good enough job of giving back to the community. Their idea of that is saying, hey, we're building a field over here in this city or whatever. And they basically promote that aspect of it to make themselves look good for charity, right? It's not. It's one of those things that we're announcing and broadcasting we're doing this for the community. It's not that you just see them in the community doing stuff all the time with camps and donating equipment and things of that nature. So kids have the opportunity to go and play and show interest in baseball. And I think that's why you see across the nation, the little league signups are down and way lower because they don't know how to market to today's youth. The other thing is, and this is going to sound petty to you guys, but I also saw Middlecoff point this out earlier as well. There's 120 million people on Instagram. I don't know how many are on Twitter. A lot of them are under 40 years old. A lot of them are millennials and the newer generation coming up. Okay. I never see any of the stars of baseball promoting the game on Twitter or Instagram, or any of those social media places like that. Like it or not, this is 2019, okay? People live on those social media sites. There's a lot of trolling and other garbage that goes on there, yes, but there's a lot of positivity and promotion of things that goes on there as well, especially certain sports like even mixed martial arts, MMA, uh, the UFC, Bellator, whatever those organizations are, right? All those fighters, man, have accounts on Twitter and whatever. They're all in there running their gums to each other, hyping up those fights, things like that. A lot of that, the social media aspect gets people talking about these sports. I see NFL players and NBA players, college football, college baseball, all those guys have Twitter and Instagram accounts, and they're constantly promoting their stuff. Antonio Brown was in the media limelight the whole entire offseason 
because of what he was saying on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. He kept the NFL more relevant than the whole entire NBA months after the Super Bowl just by going on there and making a dramatic spectacle of the whole trade saga with him and the Steelers. So whether people like it or not, social media is here to stay and it's a big, huge platform for celebrities, especially athletes. And baseball, their players are kind of non-existent on there. If they are, it doesn't seem like it's something where they're constantly on there to promote the game. And that shows with hardly anybody having a clue that opening day is tomorrow. And part of the reason is because Ubozo scheduled it for the same exact day of the Sweet 16 of the March Madness Tournament. I don't know. It's just a head scratcher to me. So anyway, guys, I, uh, I'm going to hit one more pod, try to do it next week. I'll probably try to release it hopefully on Tuesday morning. And then uh, we're going to be hitting hitting the uh, airport and the airwaves for a nice flight over to Hawaii for a few days uh, for my wife's friend's wedding. So I'll probably going to be taking that week following week off. So I hope uh, you guys all have a good rest of the week and have a good weekend coming up. And I'll see you soon. Take care.